0: Welcome to the Think Christian podcast. Josh Larson here with a quick note about this episode. We recently held the summer session of the TC Movie Club, where we tackled the filmography of one of my favorite working filmmakers, Wes Anderson. It was a great conversation, and we wanted to share the audio from that online gathering with you here. Anderson's films are comedies that tend to move from brokenness to wholeness, or at least as whole as things can be in this broken world. From a Christian perspective, you could consider the likes of Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, and Anderson's new film, Asteroid City, to be works of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We talked about that and more at the meeting. Now, if you're not a member of the TC Movie Club and you'd like to join so that you can be part of future gatherings, you can do that at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. Again, that's thinkchristian.net slash movie club. We'll return with regular episodes of the podcast in the next week or so. But for now, enjoy our TC Movie Club discussion of Wes Anderson's Restoration Cinema. Well, welcome everyone to the TC Movie Club. I'm Josh Larson, editor over at thinkchristian.net. This is the summer uh, 2023 session for the club, and I'm happy to be doing this alongside our usual chat moderator, Zachary Lee, also a TC contributor. I'm especially happy to be doing this because movie club members voted, I wanted this to be on the record, movie club members voted to discuss my favorite working filmmaker, Wes Anderson. Uh, Anderson's Asteroid City, it's been one of the best reviewed movies of this summer, I think it's fair to say. So we are going to consider it, alongside all of his films, as many as we wanna mention and have time to get in, we're going to consider them under this notion of restoration cinema. It has struck me over the course of a number of his movies that Anderson's films, they do tend to move from brokenness to wholeness in a way that uh, does echo this Christian narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And what's very exciting about his movies for me is that I feel like they do this, yeah, in their stories, in their narratives, but in the actual aesthetics of these films, the, the choices that are made to communicate this trajectory, which I think... Um, You can trace in almost every one of his movies. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, joining me is another regular Think Christian contributor, but a first time to co-host the movie club. That is Julia York. Welcome, Julia. Good to have you here. Uh, Julia holds an MA in cinema studies from Tisch School of the Arts at New York University. She's now working as a freelance social media strategist and content creator, and thankfully, Partially, that's for us. Uh, she does write for Think Christian from time to time. So Julia, let's jump in and tell me if, did Wes Anderson's work come up at all in your MA studies or is is he a filmmaker that you've mostly experienced and explored his stuff on your own?
1: Well, I think that it's natural to study Wes Anderson um, in particularly in terms of framing, right? Because he's a master of framing. Um, But honestly, it didn't really come up that much. And I think that sometimes because people have this idea, especially in maybe film school communities, that Wes Anderson is too niche or too quirky. But that's actually obviously one of his strongest qualities is that he has carved out this incredibly recognizable cinema that is so well thought out and um, so distinctive so I would say I've mostly explored Wes Anderson on my own.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if that'll change too as he becomes, it seems to me, the debate that has long been about his quirkiness or you know the emotional content and whether you can engage with him, that seems to be falling by the wayside with each new film he makes. So I wonder if it's going to be something where cinema studies, um, at least in academia, do catch up with him at some point and start to look at him more from that auteurist perspective. Maybe it's already, you know, it's probably already happening now. I know it's been a little bit since you were in in uh, film school, so that could already be the case. Um, so tell me also what you make of this idea that we kind of want to talk about uh, of Anderson's films functioning as restorative cinema, especially from a Christian perspective. Does that, does that make sense to you when when you first kind of, saw it when i mentioned it somewhere to you were like okay i can see that or were you more like what is he talking about and if it's the latter maybe do you have a different unifying sense of his films feel free to disagree with me here
1: (laughs) Sure. well to be fair i had never thought of wes anderson in terms of restoration or restoration cinema i think i've always um perhaps Too simplistically view Wes Anderson, mostly in terms of spectacle. Mm. Um, Like you're saying, an auteur, somebody who is making movies that obviously have a lot of very compelling storylines and depth to them, but on the surface are just incredibly visually stunning. And so that's sort of the first thing that takes you into a Wes Anderson film. So looking at Anderson's work kind of from not even just a deeper perspective but from a christian perspective uh was totally new to me but i can absolutely see that and i actually had not seen anderson's second film rushmore right? rushmore's his second film yep. i believe yeah um until last week and oh wow it really I feel like it not only captures kind of like the essence of who Wes Anderson is as a creator, but it also became one of my favorite movies. And I think it speaks so well to this rhythm of seeing a very, not obvious in a simplistic way, but a very obvious illustration, like you cover in your video essay of here is sort of paradise, here's the fall, and here is being restored to the good. But I think kind of in thinking through Anderson's films a little bit this week, I was really struck by this idea that so often in Anderson's films, uh, these protagonists, they go through kind of this transformation in terms of what they're thinking, and they come out a little bit differently on the other side. But what's so interesting is that they don't necessarily leave their worlds to do so. Hmm. So often we see protagonists in movies who are going through really intense transitions or transformations. Uh, This is going to be a very easy example, but Lord of the Rings, they have to physically journey from one world to another in order to find that transformation. And I think it's so interesting that in so many of Anderson's films, they all take place in the same world. And these characters find themselves restored within the same world. And, I, and in doing so, the people around them are restored in the same world. And so I think that's something that really stood out to me that I hadn't really thought about before. And I think is one of the most important aspects of what it means to look at Anderson's films from the perspective of restoration.
0: I love that because it had not occurred to me either, but it ties into this idea Um, which I forget where I was talking with someone about this might've been on film spotting, but the sense of place in so many of his movies and you look at his titles and this speaks to what you're saying. These characters are often rooted in a particular place. Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom is a particular place, a beach, right? Um, And yeah, you're right. Rushmore is the name of the school. They don't go on a hero's journey to use your Lord of the Rings example. Um, And it's more about them learning to live better, live well in the place where they have been placed. Maybe Darjeeling Limit is the rare um, case where that isn't, it, it actually is more of a journey movie, right? But the others, the others really aren't. Even Asteroid City Again, it's a place in the title. It's not where all these characters live, but they go there, and to your point, they get stuck there. They're they're not allowed to leave right until they've somewhat experienced um, this slight repositioning that you're talking about. Um, the other thing I like that you're touching on, Julia, is. Yeah, they they don't. It's almost like the epiphany that they have. I, I, that word comes to mind for me a lot in Anderson films. I always think of the Jaguar shark, right, being the ultimate epiphany that Steve Zissou has. Um, these are moments where something breaks into the worlds where the characters are and causes them to go undergo that reflection, and then it doesn't cause them to become completely different people. It's more of like a reorientation that it does for them um again asteroid city a literal example of inbreaking with the alien appearance and then it's more about how are the characters going to respond in the face of that and they don't dramatically in asteroid city you know they no one pulls a richard dreyfus and gets on the spaceship they stay they they're forced to stay there in asteroid city itself but then even when they are allowed to leave they go back with their families but you get a sense um with a deeper or a different understanding of how to live in those places. And and maybe we can get into, you know, what um, those differences might be after they have an epiphany. So love hearing that you enjoyed Rushmore so much. It remains my favorite of his. And would you say overall, Anderson is a filmmaker that you've warmed up, warmed up to over the years as you've seen more of his films? Or was he someone you, you did appreciate immediately and, you know, over time, just caught up with the ones you hadn't seen. What's kind of your relationship been with his filmography?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think that I've always mostly appreciated. I think that there's honestly been a few films where I didn't quite have that sense of like, "Oh, yes." Um, when you watch The Grand Budapest Hotel, there's just something with the rhythm of that film and also with the characters where you're along for the ride and you, you again, kind of being in this world, th- that is such a particular distinct world. I think one of the films, Anderson lost me in a tiny bit, was The French Dispatch. And I really wanted to like it. Um, but I feel like I left that film not totally being able to put my finger on anything. Yeah. And I think sometimes maybe that has been my tendency but also other people's tendency with anderson is is getting caught up in the spectacle rather than what's going on beneath the surface and i could and i don't know how other people would respond to that particularly in regards to the french dispatch where i felt like anderson almost tripped over himself in a little bit of world building mm. um but i do think one of the things that i loved about asteroid city so much is that it felt like Wes Anderson, but it almost in the best sense felt like kind of a very stripped down version of him. We had kind of one singular plot line. For the most part, it's going in between, you know, Asteroid City and the the play that it's taking place in, which is so interesting. But, you know, for the most part, we have kind of one plot line. We have kind of one particular group of characters because they're all trapped in this city. Um, And I think I actually really liked that. I think it kind of hearkened to me in some ways, which is funny to the Royal Tenenbaums where they're all mostly in this house, right? So much of the action is taking place within either this kind of singular city or within this very unique, very world in itself house. So um yes I think that for the most part I have really enjoyed the uniqueness of Wes Anderson. Um I have I do feel like there's been a couple films where maybe he got maybe he was just a little too close to it. So Yeah.
0: I think in comparison to French Dispatch for sure Asteroid City feels more streamlined though it still has those multiple layers that you're talking about it's almost like he can't help himself anymore there's always going to have to be um, really since the grand budapest a couple of layers to whatever he's doing and that means sometimes i've had a similar experience the first i can't keep up the first watch and i'm glad to be that challenged and eager to see the movies again but you're definitely get a lot thrown getting a lot thrown at you all right quick easy question for you this time before we open it up and it has to do with the poll um, that i'll go ahead and launch here so that everyone can vote in it either right now or as we talk and they want to hear what other people's opinions are but if you're talking about this idea of wes anderson films as restorative um, in the ways we've already mentioned of those films julie i don't know if you've seen all of them but do you have one you would say um, follows that trajectory the most
1: Oh, that's so hard. I have seen all of them. I'm gonna cheat and say I would probably say Rushmore or Tenon bombs.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm stuck to at the moment. We'll see if anyone can sway me. Obviously, I made the video essay about Rushmore, but. Um, I really do think it's a through line. And, you know, even even Moonrise Kingdom is, you know, there's a way it can, can be placed within that scheme as well. All right. Well, thank you, Julia, for getting us started here. Um, I'm sure you'll pop in as uh, the conversation continues. But I do want to go ahead and open it up. And we can stay on this poll question if someone has a strong feeling about one of those movies being restorative. If you have a follow-up comment or a question about anything Julia shared, Uh, That is fair game as well. Maybe maybe we just want to dive right into Asteroid City. (laughs) And if that's freshest in our minds and people are excited about talking about it, that is fine too. We can go whichever direction you guys would like. Does anyone want to go ahead and get us started here? Otherwise, I can go back. Oh, Amber. Okay, Amber's going to bail us out.
1: Um, sorry, I'm not trying to be mysterious. I'm just uh, um, folding laundry in uh, workout clothes while I'm talking. <laughs> Everybody's nodding. <laughs> Sounds um, very efficient. Yes. Um, I did have a thought about the restoration as it relates to being in one place. That just drives so well with um, actual with actual Christian belief and Christian doctrine. There's a misunderstanding and there has been among Christians and many of us have this misunderstanding at one point or another, that the whole, that the message of Jesus is somehow mostly related to going someplace when you die. Um, when actually like the life and death and, um, resurrection of this one person is, is a testimony to God's love for particularity and for, you know, for, um, The Gospel of John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory in a specific place like this wasn't in the sky. This was in a town in the Middle East. And through this act of very specific love, it changes the world and it sort of rocks the world. And so our callings are always to specific places and very specific things. And so much beauty comes out of commitment to specific places and specific things. You have the tradition of Christian monasticism in which people bind themselves to a particular place in order to serve it and pray there and just be there. Um, so that really hit home with me as as a very, um, a very beautiful, like some of the most beautiful parts of Christianity are about being embedded in a place.
0: Yeah, and you're right, Amber, about that not being as discussed as much, even though it is so prominent. If you look at scripture itself, I mean, I I remember even growing up as a kid and you'd hear, you know, people talking about heaven or eternity. And it was kind of terrifying to me because it was unknown and endless. And uh, but then when you learn about the new heaven and the new earth, which we see in revelation, and those are concepts that I find more comfort in, in thinking about You know the things that I do love at this in the in this world on this earth being brought to their fullest and their purest and their most beautiful. Like that is that is exciting and comforting, Um, and it does seem like something that should maybe be more at the forefront than just floating off to who knows where. (laughs) And it's and it's more it's more biblical, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I know a Christian ecologist who puts this very succinctly and I think beautifully, which is there is no planet B. <laughs> mm. This is the place where God made a home for himself and like never reneged. And so this is our home too. And, and so we're committed to it in particular ways. And God does like so many beautiful things when we're in that commitment.
0: Yeah. I love that. Although now we're going to, uh, skew off into a conversation about what what happens when the alien when we do find the aliens on planet b but that's another that's another topic for another night um eli you've got your hand up how are you i'm doing well uh yeah um i was
2: excited about uh just this discussion in general because i've uh recently took on the endeavor of starting a filmography podcast and I took on Wes Anderson as my, my first, uh, filmography. And so I'm, I'm nearing the end of that. And, uh, one of the things that has come up again and again for me in my, my discussions on his films wasn't so much restoration. I, ha- I hadn't really thought of it until, um, you know, the poll came out for this, uh, meeting of it in terms of restoration. Um, but. I have thought of his films in terms of reconciliation, mm. um, which are, I guess, kind of parallel things. Um, one of the main parts of restoration is reconciliation, whether it be you know, with God and man or man in the world, man with himself, man with others. Um, and I think that's one of the the things that um, is is so prominent in in West films is, Um, there's always these moments of, um, reconciliation, uh, but what has stood out to me about it and West films is that the characters aren't necessarily like seeking out, um, reconciliation. It just kind of, they just kind of find themselves in a moment of reconciliation. Mm. Um, and maybe part of that is these kind of singular places they find themselves in, Um, whether it be the, the tenant bomb house or, uh, you know, the mines uh, the, the mines and tunnels and, and Mr. Fox, or, um, they're, they're kind of stuck in this little world with these same people. Um, and it's, it's kind of reminds me of, you know, um, I don't know. You, you just think about those pockets of little worlds throughout scripture, um i mean i can only imagine the disciples having these um
1: they're
2: just they're stuck together they're following jesus there's some dissension and then they just kind of by nature of following this man and finding themselves in the same place all together kind of reconcile with each other um just by nature of being in that same place um but yeah, it, it just sticks out to me that they, it's always this moment, whether it happens with an epiphany, like in uh, Steve's um where, you know, they're all sharing this moment together and it just kind of, they weren't looking to reconcile with each other, but in that moment, all sharing that epiphany together, they there is, you know, the hands go on his shoulder yeah. um, and there's, there's reconciliation of all the you know, you know he's not a he's a pretty rough guy <laughs> to to get around. But you know, in that moment, there's some, some some reconciliation there, and I think that happens um in really all of Wes's films. And I think it it does culminate um, in Asteroid City. Um, I, I think that theme sticks out because I think the the way the reconciliation happens is by an acceptance of who they are, whether it be the character accepting themselves as who they are or the, the characters around them, around them, accepting that character for who they are. Um, and I think that the really sticks out in asteroid city when Schwartzman's character, you know, walks off offset uh, yeah. and has the discussion with the director, he feels so at odds with his character and with himself. He doesn't feel like he's doing it right. And, you know, What does Brody's director say? He says, you know, you're doing him right. Just keep, just keep doing it. Keep telling the story you're doing him right. And it's this moment where Schwartzman's character can, can reflect on that and say, I am, I might not exactly know how everything's going to play out, which is how all of Wes, Wes's movies. end. you don't know what might happen next in this world. It'll probably all go to crap again. Who knows? But these characters have come to a point where within that world, with all of its brokenness, they can accept who they are and accept the people around them for who they are. And I think there's that reconciliation is is just a a through line through all of his movies.
0: The, The way you're the way you're describing it, too, is it's almost. A gift that there's a very grace element to that, then, because it's almost a gift that's coming to them. Not so much that they are doing the work to achieve restoration; they have to they have to decide at some point whether they're going to go through with the reconciliation and 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 accept that gift. Then, but yeah, it's interesting if you put it in those terms how it does seem more like a gift of grace um, to pursue that reconciliation uh, i'm going to check in with zachary just because um seems like some things have been scrolling by but um anything you want to bring to the front zachary there yeah no i love bob your comment i
3: think you want you i talked about the escapism versus restoration element and how you know the two different modes of like are we just leaving this this earth you know it's like going to get all destroyed so we don't really care about it or are we trying to restore it and then you also mentioned how, yeah, the Gospels about the reword, So There's, you know, I think you already mentioned reconciliation, but then there's also redemption, resurrection. So lots of not just healing back to the way it was, but making it even better. And like mm. the the beauty of that, but also scary because it's like uncharted waters, right? It's yeah, like what, yeah. What that looks like so.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a reason. Uh, I Think Christians parent ministry is called reframe ministries. That that was. Uh, very intentional uh okay let's see uh troy it looks like you're up
4: yeah um like what you what um eli was saying there's always like i feel like an aha moment in Wes anderson movies where and i was waiting for that for asteroid city mm. and eli you you nailed the scene with like jason schwartzman's character walking off the set and and like talking to the director and like tell the story like and I feel like so, so, so many of us as Christians, like, okay, what's our purpose? <laughs> you know, and that was the aha moment. And I feel like in Asteroid City, just tell the story. Like, we've seen unexplainable things, perhaps, in our walk, and our journey. And that was it for Asteroid City. And, and Royal Tenenbaums, I'm surprised you didn't pick Royal Tenenbaums to be the re- re- restorative, whatever you want to call this uh, podcast, because... And someone mentioned it in the, in the thread here, like there's that scene with Royal and Chaz where they're in the bathroom. Yeah. And Chaz is like, it's been a rough year, Dad. He's like, I know. And just that scenes, I feel like in every Wes Anderson film, there's that moment where there's that aha, where there's either reconciliation or restorativeness in their souls, or they figure out this moment, like I call it the aha moment. Um, even with Digimon and Botterocket back in the day, you know, he like he has that <laughs> moment where he sees through is like, OK, breakthrough, you know, but he still has hunger for more. But he's like, kind of like, back down, buddy, back down. You know Like, And that's what I always love about these Wes Anderson films, because there's the heart belt moment in those characters and the scenes. And I appreciate the, the, the comments and the um, kind of realization. Like, it's always... In a scene, in a place, like one place, and that's kind of cool too because we're only we're only on Earth, you know, and and Wes kind of traps us whether we're on the Isle of Dogs, you know, <laughs> or whatever scene we're at. So I appreciate I pr- appreciate that about him. So those are my yeah. two cents.
0: Thank you. Isle of Dogs, another place, um, and sure, the a- aha moment. You're right. That's a good phrase for it. The epiphany moment uh, is what I think of it, too. And then in Asteroid City, it's kind of cool because the aha moment does not necessarily clarify anything. And I don't think any of them in his movies solve all the problems. Someone already mentioned this, right? That's at the end, you you know, they're in a different place. It doesn't mean like everything's perfect now. Um, So... All of the aha moments have some degree of this, but in Asteroid City in particular, I feel like it's less about now you get it and more about you're probably never going to get it and it's going to be okay despite that, um, which is a little different of a twist on um, how some of those moments play in his other films. Uh, It's okay not knowing, right? There's a freedom.
4: Yeah, like it's okay not knowing we solving everything here on earth, you know, yes. and he even took it further because he went off to the balcony. Yeah. And I, right. believe, I believe, and I believe that's
0: when it was in color because I think it switched. Right. Ooh, good question. When he leaves the theater stage backstage goes onto the balcony and i've seen it twice i should know this does anyone remember for sure in my mind it's still in black and white yeah that whole sequence so is still in white. black and yeah. white okay okay all right. all right but there's still like there's two people seeking the
4: same question you know like yeah exactly
0: yeah yeah that's cool yeah it's a great sequence all right let's move to um scott yeah
5: um a couple different thoughts and i'm gonna I, i've still only seen asteroid city the once so i don't have much to add about that Um, So I'm going back to the beginning Um, thinking of a couple of, a couple of things in bottle rocket to bring that up again. Um, To me, there's, there's a funny scene that kind of uh, in a way captures the, the early and is more reconciliation like Eli is talking about, but there's a scene by the pool where um, Dignan is, is beating up Bob and, and they're getting in all this trouble and then immediately there's this childlike apology and I want to hug him um, that happens there that it always stands out to me. But uh, in your video, when you talked about sort of image, seeing that dance scene as this restoration, I think even in in both Bottle Rocket and Tenenbaums, we get uh, analogous scenes where you have this kind of gathering in of everybody. So with Dignan, when, um, when Anthony goes to see him, and and he pulls out the gifts the the belt buckles that he's made and he says you know I was going to give them to Mr. Henry and and then he says uh, ah, give it to those guys anyway so it's kind of this yeah. um the people that didn't in in the initial gather you know in their initial relationships they weren't going to be included but he's looking to to reach out and gather them in too and uh skipping over to Tenemoz which i think from there is a crisis moment. I think it starts when Mister Pago- Pagoda stabs uh, Royal, that from then on, Royal's arc really is just, you know, fixing everything that's happened. And and of course, the gathering at, at the grave is kind of like the scene in the dance. But um, another moment for me that really, I think, captures what you're getting at in terms of this being a theme for Wes Anderson, is when Anthony is coming out, or sorry, when, uh, when, uh, (laughs) no, Luke, Luke's character, Luke Wilson's character in, I'm losing his name.
0: In Bottle Rocket?
5: In bombs
0: Eli. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Richie.
5: Richie. How are we all forgetting this Uh, at the moment? Yeah, Yeah. too many movies at once. Um, When Richie's coming home from the hospital, and then the Nick Drake song, plays on the soundtrack and i i don't know if everybody always listens closely to those words but they always stand out to me as he's breaking back into his house after this crisis moment of the suicide attempt the words are please give me a second grace please give me a second face i've fallen far down the first time around and that as a soundtrack choice i mean there's lots of you know pop songs throughout wes anderson's movies but that one particularly seems to to tell us where everything's going uh, mm. in that movie, but I think also in a bunch of the other ones too, so.
0: Thank you. Yeah, the use of music uh, is a, another one of his great strengths, I think, for sure. Uh, and I love Bottle Rocket getting getting some attention here. <laughs> uh, Peter, uh, let's, good, I've seen a bunch of hands, so this is good. Let's, let's make sure we get to everybody. Peter, we'll go to you next.
6: Getting back to the uh, aha moments, I'm just, I'm echoing your, comment you mentioned dirk and you suggest you remind us that well dirk in his redemptive act he's really not the christ figure and then you map interestingly the epiphanies as uh, redemption and i, I just uh, uh finished recently uh, and, and worked it up for a talk i gave at my church a book called the varieties of spiritual experiences and the the authors lay out six or seven different types of these experiences and you mapped uh the epiphany type which would be under their class of what they call revelatory, which mm. includes several different types uh, with a, sort of an aesthetic. That is, you mapped it to sunrise, like a sunrise experience. And indeed, both of these authors are neuroscientists. And one of them has a uh, program he calls neurotheology. And uh, they huh. some of their arguments that some of these different, which seem to be very different types of experiences, have things that happen in our minds that can be uh, pretty similar Uh and just and simply the uh, and again, again, all these spiritual experiences can serve different roles, uh, so they're not always redemptive, per se, and they don't we don't necessarily know where they're going, but we sure as heck do experience them that the one of synchronicity is one of them, which is all, which is always fascinating shows showing up in films But I'll, going forward. I'll be curious to try to map uh, when when I try to pay attention to when these kinds of experiences happen to various characters in films. Yeah. Uh, It would be interesting. I I had fun mapping uh, in the talk I gave, I had fun mapping these experiences to the the three figures of the Trinity uh, to see which ones would kind of be more appropriate, uh, just to kind of expand our minds when we're just sometimes mindlessly reciting the creed at Sunday
0: morning. Hmm. (laughs) Well, thanks, Peter. It sounds like a fascinating book. Uh, I think we're up to Taylor next. Yeah, I, I wanted to sort of
7: so many of these kind of restorative relationships we're talking about, I, I'm now noticing are oftentimes kind of parent child father son and moving in the sort of generationally downward direction, whether it's Royal Tenenbaum to his uh, his kids or even like something a surrogate father son relationship like Herman Bloom to Max Fisher, there's elements of re- restoration there. And, and my personal favorite M. Gustave and zero. My favorite is is the Grand mm-hmm. Budapest Hotel. And the idea of this this restoration, generally uh, coming down intergenerally, intergenerationally from you know the 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 folks who are on the upper generation moving down towards, and the sense of hopefulness that that brings for a future, as opposed to feeling like oh I'm the child who has to apologize to my parent or surrogate parent, and the the sense of real hopefulness that brings. is it's just a, a really wonderful through line I've noticed in Anderson's filmography, even with the M. Gustav, who is someone who is so forthright in his exact way. We've talked about like the world he inhabits. And that movie more than any, maybe any other Anderson movie is about sort of him preserving this particular world and keeping things in. But the one moment that really sort of breaks him from his particular set way is that scene just after he's pulled off the prison escape. And the, the first time you really see kind of a crack in M. Gustav's confidence in himself is is when he sort of having that apology to Zero for, you know, uh, saying, you know, as you a bloody immigrant, why would you leave your country to just come here and be so bad at your job, but then realizing, oh, Zero's a refugee. And then he finally has this, you know, sense of, of, of apology and, and realizing the faults within himself and, and making that restoration to Zero. Uh, I just love how it always is sort of moving downwards through the generations towards a future, as opposed to, you know, maybe in the sense of something like Bottle Rocket or, or Darjeeling Limited, there is that sort of, you know, brotherly or at least played by brotherly uh, sense of, of restoration. But the the movement through the generations is so reassuring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are more horizontal. But for the most part, right. You're talking about uh, this vertical. That's interesting. I had not thought about that before. Thank you, Taylor. Um, Sydney, you want to go next?
8: Um, Sure. So um, this is actually just more of a question, I guess. Um, but just for some context, um, I often lean towards, um, the, like a lot of Anderson's earlier work, um, like Rushmore's my favorite, love Royal Bombs. Um, this is maybe controversial, but I really love the life aquatic, that kind of thing. Um, just oh, because you, of this
0: restorative element, say it, say it proud.
8: <laughs> yes. Very proud. <laughs> um, but, um, recently I rewatched, um, Grand Budapest for this talk just because I didn't really get as much of a restorative element the first time I watched it. Um, but kind of like Taylor was talking about, one thing that I realized it was that it seemed like this moment, well, first of all, Monsieur Gustave is much more closer, he's closer to the quintessential like Anderson character as opposed to Zero, even though he is kind of more of a supporting role. Um, but that his moment of transformation is with that apology um, after the prison break. And so I guess My question then would be, what is the like Anderson epiphany, if you will, in Grand Budapest? Is there one? Mm. Is it perhaps like Zero's friendship with Monsieur Gustave when it's like not really earned? Is that the act of grace in that one?
0: Great question. I might I might dodge it and throw it to Julia if she's seen Grand Budapest. Um, I'm because and I'm going to dodge it because I remember the first time I watched Grand Budapest. And it was the first Anderson movie I watched where I didn't have like the tears start, and and often that'll be combined with the epiphany moment. So absolutely, Life Aquatic, absolutely the kite flying in Rushmore, um, and yeah, and then and then Grand Budapest, which I was loving, I was thinking hmm, it, it hasn't yet punched me in quite that way. Did just rewatch it probably a week or two ago, and still felt, I I felt more emotionally attached to it, but didn't have that sort of teary moment quite as much. There's one that might've come close, but Julia, have you seen Grand Budapest? And can you answer that question?
1: Oh my gosh, I have seen it, but I've only seen it one time. So I probably can't answer that question well, but I would agree that it's hard to find that It's hard to find an obvious moment in Grand Budapest. And I would say that for me, Grand Budapest is even sort of not quite as a concrete example of restoration only because I believe the hotel is in pretty much in disarray right at the end of the movie. And and not that that's I mean, you could speak one way about that or another, but I think typically in your mind, you would think, oh, the restorative nature of this film will be played out in the restoration of this hotel. Um, And we don't get that. And that would kind of be like an easy satisfaction with that. But I would agree, I actually have a hard time seeing kind of the very and we've seen it in a few more obvious examples in Anderson's work, seeing that very precise moment of, oh, kind of that the aha moment we've been talking about. But that's mm-hmm. not to say, I think, I think what everybody has been kind of contributing about that movie specifically, in terms of the relationship of uh, Gustav and Zero, uh, there's something very profound and tender there when they sort of realize the greater context around who Zero is and their relationship to each other, Uh, all that to say, I don't have a good answer. (laughs) No,
0: No, I think that's helpful. And I, take your point about the hotel not being you know it's still operating i think the last we see it but it is not to gustav's point earlier in its the splendor the days that it used to be it's not it's not at its height and that does run a little bit counter to some of these other trajectories we've been tracing uh the moment i was the moment that really reached me in my last revisit but i wouldn't call it exactly an aha but just emotionally was the second time M. Gustav and Zero are on the train, and the soldiers come after him. And it was the way Gustav stood up for him once more, but but in a way where he knew what that meant for him. Um, that kind of really um, left, hit me with a bit of a thud. So um, yeah, as happens every time I watch a Wes Anderson movie, I like it even more, and that happened again with Grand Budapest, so um jacob you're next i don't know if you want to if you have any answer to this grand budapest question but there's probably something else you wanted to share as well
9: yeah i mean grand budapest is is one of the sadder i i feel like it ends on a sad note Mm. and um i just think there's something heartbreaking about grand budapest and Yeah, yeah and and yeah and i think and i think a big part of that could be the fact that uh at the end of the movie gustav's uh, Beloved Hotel is kind of in shambles, and you just have a sense of it's ne- it's it's never going to be what he idealized for it and envisioned, yeah. and he had such grand ho- grand hopes for his hotel, and you just get a sense that it's not going to be that ever again, and and that that is a sad moment to end on. Um, I, I think some of the more beautiful moments in Grand Budapest are like the moments between um, Zero and Goose- and uh, Agatha. And their love story is is just really beautiful and touching, and and like there's a glimmer of hope there. The the love that they find, kind of in a time in which the world is changing, um, is is I think really really poignant and powerful. But no, what I was what I was going to say was I've just kind of been thinking about Wes Anderson as the filmmaker behind all of these movies and, and I feel it's, you know, somewhat well-documented that he, uh, is a product. He, he comes from a broken family. Both of his, his parents are divorced. And, and if I remember, if I remember reading correctly uh, at a fairly young age and not, there's even, so there, there's kind of a through line of divorce and broken families. And, um, and I think about the, the line in Rushmore where, uh, I think Bill Murray says maybe to, uh, Jason Schwartzman, kids don't like it when their parents get divorced. Uh, and I, and just I think that was an early a moment early on in Wes Wes's career where you see ah that's he's preoccupied with that you know mm-hmm. and but and yet uh, he makes movie after movie after movie after movie about reconciliation restoration and so Josh your your book actually came came to mind movies or prayers and one one thing that has just stuck with me about that book is these are prayers that these uh, filmmakers are praying often unbeknownst to themselves, you know? And so how consciously is Wes uh, working through that hope and longing for restoration? And, I, and I'm, by no means am I trying to psychoanalyze him, but just thinking about like the little nuggets that he places in, in his movies that are self-referential enough to really make you think that he, he's thinking a lot about his own upbringing and his own experience. And just for, for that person to be the one who's making movies about like restored relationships uh is really is that is powerful to me yeah not knowing what wes's life is like now or his faith is like now um and even if it's unbeknownst to him and his moves are prayers he he's kind of pining for restoration you know and and uh hoping to see um, just relationships reconciled is that, that that's interesting to just reflect on what the little that i know about his life just through reading interviews and things yeah um, and seeing restorative themes come up in his movies time after time
0: yeah if that's you know if that is the case there's a there's a bitter sweetness to that because you can think of other filmmakers who have gone through experiences like that and come out with very bitter um fictionalized takes on that experience, which is completely understandable. You know, that's that's a, a prayer of anger, a legitimate prayer of anger maybe. But his when there's when there's that aching for the reconciliation or restoration, it, it does make it more of a bittersweet um, work of art. All right, we've got about 10 minutes and I think there's a couple people we haven't heard from yet. So um let's um go with you, Baird, and then we'll uh, get to Laura hopefully before before we wrap up. What do you got, Baird? I think you might be muted, or it actually looks like you were unmuted, but uh, but we couldn't hear you. So go ahead, and figure that out. We'll jump to Laura and then come back to you. So take your time. Um, but Laura, if if you're good, we'll um, get your thoughts a minute.
10: Um, Jacob, thank you so much for for that comment because the the thing that and I'm, I'm not quite the devotee that you all are, but um, in watching the couple that I watched recently and then thinking about his other movies, I feel like <clears throat> everyone is always grieving, like all of his, I think sometimes about how he directs his actors um, and what he might say to them. And it just feels to me like everyone in those movies like starts from a place of grief and um, to the extent that there is some sort of um, rest restoration reconciliation you know um peace um i think it's also true that you never know exactly sort of what moves on from there but that there is that you know we keep talking about glimmers of these moments of you know some sort of transcendence but i just feel like there's this just sadness i mean i think you know i watched bottle rocket for the first time just last week and thinking about you know luke wilson's character starting off in you know that institution and you know, it sort of feels like he's trying to rally himself in order to sort of do well by his friend. And I mean, I honestly don't think I can think of any character in any of his movies that to me doesn't look like there's somebody who's struggling with the weight of the world. Um, yeah. And for some reason, Jacob, what, what you said made me think. Um, yeah. Anyway, thanks. Thanks for your comment.
0: I think that's very yeah that's very right laura i'm even if it's not literal grieving like if you take rushmore for example um you have olivia williams teacher who is grieving the loss of her husband and you have max and his dad grieving the loss of you know max's mom but also bill murray you know his character grieving the disintegrating marriage and you know whatever part he played in that we don't fully know um but definitely that's part of his moroseness that that's a sort of grief he carries um looks like you're good to go baird can you hear me now <laughs> hey, you're there ahead. we go okay this
11: Josh, this may force me to turn in my membership card let's see how it goes because <laughs> i am by far not a wes anderson uh you know apologist um I've, his quirkiness was fine and in my opinion as everyone appreciates his quirkiness he keeps having up it up it up it up it again and i think it especially since uh, grand budapest hotel i think it's just become more stylized but the concept i want to bring up and this kind of dovetails with jacob talking about how Wes is trying to look for things i think in these movies there's no free will in these characters mm. i think west builds each of his own little worlds and each world is, you know, in the framing and in the environment he picks, and he brings all these characters together. And my observation is the acting is very flat. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I'll pause for a reaction. And those are some of the things that irritate me. And for me, it feels like I'm going to put these people that don't have to think for themselves, and I'm going to position the the whatever other characters to interact and get that to work the way I want it to work. I'll just kind of keep moving things along. And I th- I'm i going to punctuate it with he's in Asteroid City, you know, two-thirds of the way in a movie. One of his characters, tries to have free will, walks off the stage and goes to the director, i.e. Wes, saying, I don't get this. And the director's responsibility is, just keep going. He's not going to give them any direction. He's not going to say anything. You know, the director may move some things back, may have the alien return the asteroid, whatever that's going to be, to get the characters to go. And then at the time, at the end of the movie, and I haven't seen them all, but the ones I've seen, there is some restoration for some, but may other people, they just move on and they just walk away.
0: I think... I think you have a strong argument there, well-supported by, um, you know, the fact that we're talking about one of the most controlling filmmakers at work, right? And I th- now for me, it works opposite, the opposite. There, there's an irony to this controlling filmmaker, um, to my mind, still telling stories where control isn't entirely possible. And Asteroid City might be the biggest example of that for me. What I appreciated is the way um, it allowed these struggling characters to realize we're never going to be able to have all the answers. We're not going to be able to control the world, however smart we are, however brilliant our kids are. And what tells us that? The fact that an alien just dropped on our heads. Now, we, we have lost all control and all answers. It's all out the window. And my experience of that movie, and I think it is for some of the characters too, is the freedom that comes with that, to realize that you're not responsible for that. Have you seen um, Isle of Dogs, Baird? Okay. I would say try that one next. I don't think it'll solve all of your concerns, but to my mind, it is very much about free will, about you know, Chief, the main dog, not wanting—he's a stray. He's always been free, done what he wants. He's not going to be part of the pack. And then, what does that mean when this boy falls on into their laps? And how is he going to respond? Is can he see that in obedience, which would be in your terms, Anderson moving all the pieces where he wants? Is there possibly some sort of freedom because relationship comes with that? And of course there are theological overtones to that. So that is a whole nother discussion we could have, but keep trying Baird. You'll get, I don't know if you'll ever completely get there, but definitely see Isle of Dogs. It's one of my favorite Anderson films. Um, all right. So Eli, if you can, if you got this, if it's real quick, um, go ahead, because we want to check in on the chat and the poll and um, say our goodbyes, but yeah, you've, you're the last one with the hand up. So give us something quick here.
2: Uh, yeah, I had put it in the chat in case I couldn't uh, bring it up, but I just wanted to bring up the, the aesthetic of Wes as a tool for restoration. Um, uh, so his aesthetic of this kind of storybook dollhouse allows the viewer to kind of hold these worlds at arm's length, you know, in contrast to a director that might try to like shove you into the motion and the world of the film. Um, Wes allows you to really like examine in detail these worlds, just thinking about restoration that allows the viewer to really examine these worlds and the characters within them and how these characters relate to the worlds and each other, perhaps with more detail and with more profundity than if he were to like shove you into these worlds and their emotions. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up real quick and see if you had any thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, that's that's how these movies work for me, and, and and part of it is your psychological makeup too. You know, if, if you're someone who connects more with a movie that is, um, in your face, is a derogatory way to put it, but just more blatantly um, trying to move you, my, I kind of push, hold back from those. It's just how how I'm wired. And it's why I find these movies more emotional because they sneak up on me. And, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to put my defenses up yet. <laughs> and so uh, because of that, I think I identify with a lot of his characters and also find find them deeply moving. Um, this has been um, a really good conversation, and I'm sure we could dig in a lot more. But let's check in on the poll here and... Uh, It looks like, yeah, we've got, uh, if you still want to vote, go ahead. But uh, Rushmore is winning right now with 50% of the vote, but Royal Tenenbaum's there with 40%. So Rushmore, you know, got that, the bump from the video essay, I'm sure. So maybe it's not entirely fair. I should have left it out maybe in retrospect um but let's see uh was there julia in a second i'll come and see if there's anything else you wanted to leave us with but zachary anything we missed in the chat that didn't come up or um worth mentioning
3: yeah no there's so much here. it's usually how it is towards the end you know right. a whole bunch of people commenting but i think i know amber you shared an essay that i don't want to get lost in in, in the queue uh from dappled things that seems really interesting and then I think Sarah, th- this kind of ties to the epiphany question, and maybe it's something to think about more. I think she had asked about what the, the that's balcony scene. I think where Margot Robbie shows up, you know, just for for one sequence and then dips out. But the significance of that, um, and yeah, ju- it just in relation to epiphany and tapping into grief and healing and everything like that. So. Um, I think there's a question about if the chat could be saved at some point, Josh, because I feel like there's a lot of cool links and, you know, yep. shared out at some point. So
0: Yeah, that's a great idea. I will. Um, yeah, the recording should allow you to save it. I'm not sure what the format will be like, but maybe there's a way to send that out um, via email to movie club members. I like that idea because i miss a lot myself while doing this and i know there's good stuff in there so thanks to those of you who are contributing there in the chat julia any, any last thoughts um but, but they want to hear what other people
1: well i actually really quickly wanted to respond to sarah's uh chat con- contribution yeah. where she is talking about the the sequence on the balcony in asteroid city where uh jason Schwartzman's character leaves asteroid city leaves the play and goes out onto the balcony. Because for me, I mean, in the chat, we've really been kind of trying to interpret what that could mean. And what does that look like for restoration? And I think, I think it can mean so many things. I think it's a lot of different things, but to me, what stood out, and I think it's such a great question that, that Sarah asked is that um, I think in a few of Wes Anderson's films, and one that really comes to mind is Fantastic Mr. Fox, is there's these very small moments of an encounter with another self. And so in this moment, Jason Schwartzman is out on the balcony encountering not only himself as an actor, quote unquote, but Margot Robbie's character who was supposed to be in the play and is not. And I think it's this really interesting example of, it's almost this encounter of with what could have been had hmm. there not been either restoration or reconciliation? I think of that scene in Fantastic Mr. Fox where he encounters uh, that that black wolf standing out in the wild. Yeah, and he has this moment of kind of recognition and identification with this creature who is the only creature in the film that is not anthropomorphic. It's a totally wild creature it doesn't adhere to their rules it's not sophisticated quote unquote it lives in chaos and there's this really interesting recognition with mr fox in terms of oh that that could be me so i just think that there are these moments that you know we're talking about kind of restoration in anderson's films as this very linear thing but Mm -hmm. there are these really small moments of almost this examination of this is what could have been if restoration wasn't upon me, if wasn't a possibility in my life, and so I just wanted to address that because I really liked that question that Sarah posed, and it just made me think of that.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, in addition to, the, I think of the wolf too being a variation of Mister Fox. It's also related to the free will question a little bit, I think, as well that Baird was bringing up. Right? Is is the the wolf the one with the, has ultimate freedom? What does that mean for him? So. Um, Yeah, I'm glad we got to touch on his two stop-motion efforts because those um, are among my favorites for sure. I'm a sucker for stop-motion though. Um, So as I wrap up here, if anyone would like to share in the chat um, a Twitter handle or for you movie fanatics, a Letterboxd handle if you have a profile there. Um, especially if we're going to save this and send it out. It's a way for people to connect on Letterboxd. I don't know, if any of you are trying to make threads happen like like me and, and you want to uh, connect there, feel free to try. Um, but uh, yeah, put that in the chat and we can find each other in those places. Um, thank you very much to Zachary. Thank you so much, Julia. It was good to have you do this. Uh, we are going to get together again in the fall, but Rather than put out a vote for the topic of that session, I think I might hijack it and um, tie it to the theme of uh, my new book, which did just come out, Fear Not a Christian Appreciation of Horror Movies. So maybe we'll do, you know, in October leading up to Halloween, we could do a general discussion of the genre, um, you know, and, and how Christians might approach it. I don't know, maybe we'll focus on a classic horror film um, or a filmmaker who's known for horror or maybe i'll make maybe i'll make a poll with a couple of those and see which one most interests people and we'll send that out via email so look for that Uh, coming your way shortly here. In the meantime, if you're at all interested in horror, please do check out the book. It's uh, very much in the vein of of what we do here at Think Think Christian, so um, it'll be familiar to you. And yeah, if you leave a review on Amazon, that would be a great help. So uh, thank you again. It was good to see you, and um, we will get together again in the midst of scary season. Have a good night, everyone.